But it is the call to worship. It comes from Romans chapter 8. And if you're familiar with that chapter, you know that it is a chapter that begins with the reality that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He reminds us of the promise of His Spirit that will be working in our heart. He mentions there of the glory that is yet to be revealed. He just sets before us over and over again the benefits that are found in being in Christ. And then at the end of the chapter, he just begins to ask questions. If God's for us, who can be against us? Who can lay a charge to God's elect? And he just reminds us of the wonderful things that are ours in Christ Jesus. Will you stand with me and let us consider together this responsive reading from various verses there at the end of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great love that is. And how we ought to want to glorify our God together. Let's take our hymns of grace and turn over to 37. 37 in the hymns of great grace, how great are God's majestic name. Number 37 in the hymns of grace.
We thank you, O Lord, for the reminder of your creative power and of your merciful care on us. As we meet before you this day, give us strength to glorify your name. Come among us and um, walk and teach us uh, from your word. And may your name be lifted up and glorified. Give us the strength to do that. Help us to turn away from the cares of this world for this hour and day and focus upon how to best praise you, to listen to your word, to be instructed. And may your name be lifted up in this place and draw all men unto you. In your blessed name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now take your Trinity hymn books and let us turn together to hymn number 136, 136 in the Trinity hymn book. Ye servants of God, your master proclaim and publish abroad his wonderful name. Number 136, Trinity hymn book.
copy of reading through the scriptures. We are in Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Are those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed? Do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, Listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. And as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, There are six days when work should be done, therefore come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage? on the Sabbath day. And when he said these things, all the adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things which he was doing. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky nested in his branches. Again he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. He went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you many will try to enter and won't be able 
once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Just a quick note here. Two things. That narrow way is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That narrow door or gate, depending on your translation. We're told by our, the, our world today that there's many ways, but the scripture plainly teaches us that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the narrow way. And the second point is that gate is open. Today, it's open. But there's coming a day when it won't be. So if you hear his voice today calling you, make haste to come so that you do not get shut out. Okay, let's continue. I'll just back up a little bit. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. They will come from the east and west, from north and south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some of you who are last will be first, and some of you who are first will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came and told him, Go out and get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox, Look, I am driving out demons and performing healings. Today and tomorrow... And on the third day I will complete my work. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is abandoned to you. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, this morning we want to particularly pray for the Inglewood Baptist Church in Inglewood, New Jersey. They're in the midst of in the next month, a transferring from one man to another. Pastor Dom will be leaving there, and Pastor Giblio will be taking the full-time reign there, so we want to pray for them. And then also, if you read the prayer sheet that went out this week, one prayer request that's not on there, because it didn't come in until Sunday afternoon, is that of, or till Wednesday afternoon, that Pastor Jeff Smith from Trinity Baptist Church in Mottville, New Jersey, left Wednesday night to go to Pakistan, and he'll be in Pakistan for three weeks, and he gave us something of his schedule while he is there. It is a full schedule between counseling and preaching all three Sundays he's there and other opportunities. I think there are various retreats that are going on. So pray for Pastor Smith as he's 
over helping the Grace Baptist Church in Islamabad. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again we were reminded this morning in the reading of your word that every man needs to repent, turn away from their sins and follow Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that this day as your word goes forth in various places here throughout Lenaway County and around the world, that you would so work by your spirit that men will see their need to repent and that, Father, many will come to know you by faith. And so, Father, we commit this day to you and commit even this service to you, as well as ask that you would be with all those men who will faithfully proclaim your word to the end, that the kingdom would be added unto by faith and repentance. Father, we do give you thanks for the fellowship, again, that we enjoy and have the privilege of having with many here in the States and around the world. We thank you for the many years that we have partnered together with the Inglewood Baptist Church there in New Jersey. Thank you for their faithfulness and their labors. And thank you for Pastor Dom and the many years that he's labored there in that place. And we pray that you will direct him and his dear wife, Brenda, as they seek to know your mind and will for them in the future. We pray that you will continue to use him for the good of your people. But Father, we pray as well for the church there in Inglewood as a new pastor, Pastor Amos, comes in and begins laboring full time among them. We thank you for his years of faithfully laboring with Pastor Dom. And now as they make this transition, we pray that through it all, your name would be glorified and honored and the church would be strengthened and greatly used by you for the good of your kingdom. And then, Father, we pray as well that you would be with Pastor Smith as he's there in Pakistan. Pray that you would watch over him. We pray especially for his safety as he seeks to proclaim the gospel in Christ in, in a country that is is very opposed to those things. Father, we pray that he would prove to be of great profit and benefit to Pastor Danielle and the people of God at Grace Baptist Church there in Islamabad. We pray that he'll give our brother the needed strength as he has many opportunities of, of laboring, whether one-on-one in counseling, whether it's meeting with other pastors and seeking to encourage them, or ministering in the Word in conferences and on the Lord's Day. So watch over him, help him, and may he have good health in the midst of these next couple weeks and all that he does. Pray, Father, that you would be with those who are not able to be with us this morning. We pray for those who are on beds of affliction, that you would just draw near to them and raise them up. Father, we would ask that as your Word is open this morning in this place, that you would help us to give attention to that word, help us to, re, to uh, reply biblically to the things that we have heard, and that we would be diligent in examining our own hearts and lives to see what our relationship is with you this morning. So, Father, take this service and use it for your glory and honor as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Now, before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books again, turning to 415, hymn 415, God be merciful to me, on thy grace I rest my plea. 415th Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing.
Good, you can be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 27 this morning. Deuteronomy 27. Now, if you have a good long-term memory, you will remember that the beginning of this book, the first four chapters, dealt primarily with a review of historical events that took place after the children of Israel left Egypt. And then starting in chapter 5 and going all the way through chapter 26, Moses has been addressing the people. And his message primarily dealt with the ten words given to the children of Israel, especially with regard to how they were to live once they have entered into the promised land. When we come to chapter 27, there are some who believe and refer to this as Moses' third message. I might refer to it this way. Those first four chapters were his introduction. 5 to 26 is the bulk of his message. And now starting in 27, he, he wants to bring it home, or what we might call those words of application in light of what has already been said. And so you might recall that last week as Moses brought to an end the bulk of his message, the children of Israel made a declaration. And we read of that declaration in verse 17. Moses says, You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in His ways and keep His his statutes and His commandments and His ordinances and listen to His voice. You have made a declaration that you will be a people who will listen to God's voice Upon listening to God's voice, apply it to your everyday life and then walk, live, or behave, or conduct yourself according to that as you enter and possess this land. And how often do people make a declaration of commitment and then not follow through. Making a commitment ought to mean something. We do it when we take a job. We tell the employer, I'm committed to being here every day at 7 o'clock, and you'll have my commitment till 3 or 4. I'm making that commitment. We make it in our marriages. Our marriages are a commitment to one another. I commit myself to my wife, and she commits herself to me. It is a commitment, a declaration that we make towards one another. The fellowship in God's church is a commitment that we make to those fellow believers that make up 
the local church. We are saying, I'm committed to this. Now, now sometimes we declare a commitment without really taking seriously or considering what all that means. And by that, I simply mean this. Did, did, I, I was going to ask, did you ever get a cell phone? But that's now a silly question, isn't it? Because most of us have cell phones. And do you, remember, do you remember when you got your cell phone, they printed out all this paperwork, and then they said, we want you to commit to a contract for two years, and you looked at it, and you said, okay, and you signed it, but you didn't read it all? You didn't really stop to considering what? You just, you just thought to yourself, you know, I've got ten minutes here, I've got to pick up somebody, and, and, and okay, okay, I'll sign it. And you signed it, and off you went. I, I, last week when I was in Grand Rapids, when I went to check into the motel, uh, the lady printed out the paperwork and she said, as she put it in front of me and she said, just initial wherever it's marked in yellow. So I said, okay. So the first one, no pets allowed. Put the initial down. No smoking in the room. If you smoke in the room, we're going to charge you no $200. Well, okay. No smoking in the room. Here's the amount it's going to cost you. Okay, initialed. And then at the very bottom, there was this, this thing, and it said, it was, it was just something like, I authorize, and then a space, and then a yellow marker. And I looked at the clerk, and I said, what am I authorizing? And she says, what do you, what do you mean? And I said, down here at the bottom, this bottom place it says I authorize and then a little yellow marker and just initial it what am I authorizing and I don't know if she is new I don't know she just looked at me and says I don't know she says most people just initial it nobody's ever asked me that question before I said, well, I'm a little concerned. Am I authorizing you to get into my bank account? Am I authorizing you to go ahead and grab my car and take it for a spin? Am I authorizing you to allow somebody else to come into my room while I'm there and take the extra bed? What am I authorizing? And she goes, I really don't know. And so I said, okay. So I, I, I initialed it, put my initials, and then I put under it, I have no idea what any of this means. And therefore, do not hold me accountable. And she goes, well, that's cute. And I said, okay. And I got my room and went on. <laughs> but it was just, people just initial it. they just saying, okay. Well, here, the children of Israel make this declaration. We're going to follow God. We're going to be loyal to Him. We're going to hear His voice. We're going to obey His voice. And we're going to live our lives by that voice. That was the final word of declaration. And then we come to chapter 27. And Moses wants to set before the people the importance of what they declared. This is not to be taken lightly. This is not to just simply give your initials and then walk away and forget what you have declared. You, you need to take the declaration seriously. And, and one of the ways in which you will demonstrate the seriousness of this declaration is this. When you get into the land, when you cross over Jordan, 
And you're in that land that's been promised to your forefathers years ago. When you're there, I want you to realize the importance of your declaration by a couple different things you're going to do. First of all, you're going to make sure that you see the presence of the law. The presence of the law. And we read about that in the first eight verses. You can follow as I read. And then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people saying, Keep all the commandments which I am commanding you today. And so it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you set up for yourselves large stones and coat them with lime and write on them all the words of this law when you, when you cross over so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord the God of your fathers promised you. And so it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up, set up on Mount Ebal these stones as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, the altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer on it burnt offering to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law distinctly. So, so here, Moses is saying when, when you cross the Jordan and you find yourself in that promised land, first of all, I, I want you to take large stones... And I want you to cover them with lime, which is white. And I want you to, I, I don't want these stones. It's interesting, he says, I, I don't want you to take any tools and begin chiseling away. I, I want you to take these large stones, which are in all likelihood would be stones that would be dug up in the fields when, when the farmers go to cultivate the field. So there would be these large stones, and they were placed them on Mount Ebal, and there they were to paint them white, they were to be uncut, and, and, and the reason I believe Moses says, don't, don't take an iron tool to those stones, because I wonder if Moses was concerned that if they began to chisel some of the rough edges off the stones, that they might be tempted to begin chiseling some other religious motif that they think might aid them in the worship of God. I wonder if Moses was concerned that they might think we might need an aid when it comes to the worship of God. And so therefore, Moses doesn't want to place that temptation. They were so vulnerable to idols that he didn't want to put them in that place. So he says, take these stones and put them, set them in Mount Ebal, and on the stones, you're to write the law. Now, in, in, in considering that, you know, what exactly he meant by the law. 
Does he mean the ten words? One commentator says, I thought maybe he meant the whole book of Leviticus. No, that would that would be a job, wouldn't it? Or, or maybe it was just maybe it was just something like love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest commandments. But but these stones were to be placed in such a way, covered with lime or, or with white, and then the, the law written on the stones so that the law of God was ever before them. It was to be used as a reminder that you as God's people have been blessed with the privilege of having God's revelation. God has spoken to you. God has told you what He expects, how you're to live. And and perhaps He had these things set where they were as an ongoing reminder to the revelation of God given to them. Now these would have been large stones, so they weren't going to be stones that were quickly or easily moved out of the way by a strong wind. These were going to be stones that were very stable. So they would be continually before them. Why? Because we have a capacity to forget. To forget. Not not forget in the sense of, you know, somebody... Somebody calls and says, hey, uh, you know, we're all sitting around the table. We're, we're getting ready for a meeting, and you're not here. And you go, meeting? What meeting? I, I forgot all about that meeting. This was a forgetfulness that just comes from living every day. And, and, and realizing that God has given us His Word, He expects us to live by that Word, and therefore it was continually set before them. I believe that having the law written on the stone said two things about the Word. The durability of the Word. The durability of the Word. You know, Moses, think about this. Moses had been the messenger. Moses had been God's mouthpiece. God gave His revelation to the people of God through Moses. Moses was about ready to leave. Moses wasn't going to be around. The messenger was about ready to be ushered into the presence of God and soon Moses' voice would have been a thing of the past. But the Word endures forever. His revelation does not change. It, it's true today. Though there are many changes in this world and many uncertainties, as believers, we're convinced that the Word of the living God is indestructible. It endures forever. Isaiah 40 and verse 8, The grass withers, 
The flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Forever. Peter, quoting this very verse from Isaiah, says, The Word of the Lord that endures forever. In 1 Peter chapter 1. So, having the law written on the stones reminded them of the durability of the Word. But secondly, it also reminds them of the dependability of the Word. The dependability of the Word. What had been promised for the future was about ready to be confirmed in the present. What was promised for the future was about ready to be confirmed. Notice the wording that Moses uses. When the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gave you, you shall set up for yourselves large stones. It's a reminder that God's Word comes to pass. No doubt there would have been occasions in which the Israelites would be wondering, will this ever happen? Will we ever enter into the land? Will God? There were occasions when it looked as though there's no way this is ever going to come to pass. You've got an old man and an old woman who have no children, and it's through their seed that all this has come to pass. And, and it looks impossible. There must have been time when they were in Egypt, and, and they were slaves in bondage, and they were working hard work, and they felt beat down. There must have been times when they went home and said, wow, do you think we'll ever be in that land that flows with milk and honey? I think it will ever come to pass. And, and as you cross the Jordan, and as you walk into that land, may it be a reminder to you that God keeps His Word. His Word is dependable. It's dependable. And your arrival into that land is evidence of the utter dependability of the Word of God. And so when God gives a promise, He means it. And when God gives a threat, He means it. Now, you know, you see the relevance of that because He's about ready to announce the blessings and the curses. Unless you're tempted to think, that'll never happen. Remember, God keeps His Word. These stones are a reminder of the revelation of God and how God brought His Word to pass. And so here we have the presence of the Word in the stones. Notice also that they they were to set up altar. They were to build an altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall sacrifice a peace offering. And and you shall sacrifice a burnt offering and a peace offering. Here's another thing they were to to do, just as a reminder. When, When they were sacrificing a burnt offering... That they are reminded of their sin. The burnt offering was that offering which would be totally consumed. It was an, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But it's a reminder that there is forgiveness with God. 
And the peace offering was, was an offering that only a portion was burnt up and the other portion was given and eaten and, and enjoyed, which is a reminder of, of reconciliation and fellowship and peace with God. So even in, in the erecting of these altars, they're reminded of their need of forgiveness and they're reminded of the reality of reconciliation with God. Both these two come together with these sacrifices and offerings given to God. Well then in verses 9 and 10, we have what I call the priority of the law. The priority of the law. Listen as I read verses 9 and 10. And then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel saying, be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. And you shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do His commandments and His statutes which I have commanded you today. Here we have a commandment by Moses for the people just to be quiet. Be silent and listen. It was a time that they might have to think of all that has happened. It, it, it is a time when they can reflect upon where they have come from and where they are now. There are times it's important for us to simply be silent and listen and reflect. Not all that long ago, we were nomads. And of all the nations of the world, and of all the peoples of the world, God set His affection upon a man by the name of Abraham. Why? Why Abraham? Was he something special? Was there something good about him? Absolutely not. It was by God's sovereign design and purpose and plan. He set his affection upon Abraham. And then God promised him a great seed and, and yet he had no children. And in the old age, he had children. And then we, we, we were brought into Egypt, few in number. But there in Egypt we grew. But we were slaves. We were assigned hard labor. We were in bondage. And God, by His grace and His power and His goodness, has, has now brought us out of that bondage. We wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now here we are today. And there's the Jordan. In a little while, we'll be in that land flowing with milk 
and honey. Living in houses we didn't build, drinking from wells we didn't dig, eating from produce we didn't harvest. Reflect upon what God has done. There are times, dear people, in the midst of everything going on in life, and how many times have you not said something like this, I I wish life would just slow down a minute. I I, I wish I just could could get off this merry-go-round called life. But how important it is that on occasions we, we ought to stop and be quiet and reflect upon the goodness of God towards unworthy people. When was the last time we did that? Made that a priority to think about what God has done and bringing us unto Himself. When was the last time we sat silently and asked or, or, or said something like John says, How great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. We're the children of God. And the wonderful thing is, when that check engine light comes on, for the third time, in the last two months, and you become a little frustrated, it doesn't make void the fact that I'm a child of God's. And, and there's times we just need to quit scheming and complaining and just marvel. At what God has done for us. And that then ought to stir our hearts to be obedient. Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. It's not that this is the first time that God says you're going to be my people. He says it over and over again. But it's sort of a renewal. It's, it's, it's sort of a, 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 an awakening again. You are the people of God. D- does that do anything to you? Does that have any reaction in your own heart and in your own mind? God gave that we might have life. And, and the response I would think to that is, I want to be obedient to Him. I want to obey Him. And so as you enter into that land, remember your declaration. You will walk in His ways. Keep His statutes. His commandments. His ordinances. And listen to His voice. And then in verses 11 to 26, we have the practice of the law. The practice of the law. 
follow as I read. Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, When you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Eschar, Joseph, Benjamin. For the curse there shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Nepali. Levites, so you get the picture. The Valley of Shechem is is between on on the north it's Ebal, and on the south I think it's 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 Garrison. So you have these two mountains, and then the tribes are divided up. I, I'm not sure how they picked who would stand on what side, but but there would be this division. And half the tribes would be over here, and half the tribes would be over here. And half the tribes, that would represent God's blessing, and half the tribes, that would represent God's curse that would fall upon them. So that's what they were to do once they entered into the land. Then we go ahead and read verse 14, And the Levites shall then answer and say to all the people of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed is the man who makes an idol. Or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of, of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. And cursed is he who dishonors his father and mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary marker, or boundary mark. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who distorts justice do the alien, the orphan, the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovers his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. And all the people, and cursed is he who lies with an, any animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person. And all the people shall say, Amen. And cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. So here's the pronouncement of a curse. Of a curse. Here's, here's a list of twelve curses that would come upon them if they violate the law of God, if they engaged in behavior that displeased God. It's it's perhaps a summary of of the ten words that are already given. Notice, I I work it down to, to six primary things he mentions here. He mentions idolatry, which deals with the first two commandments. He He deals with Family authority. Children, obey your parents. He deals with protecting the vulnerable. God, God loves the, the weak 
and the weary and the widow and the orphans. And He deals with that. He deals with sexual purity, that the only place where one is to engage in sexual activities is in the marriage bed and no place else, even though someone may declare, but, but, but I love it or him or whatever. I mean, he mentions all kinds of scenarios here. It is evil. Mentions the sanctity of life there in verse 24 and 25, striking his neighbor. And then finally in verse 26, he says, I'm calling on total obedience. Total and complete obedience is the standard in which you must live. Otherwise, you will be cursed. And let me explain. The word curse is not a slap on the hand. It's not a Hebrews thing. You know, whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. The word curse here has the idea of separation. Being cut off. Being put in exile. Perhaps the clearest definition to be cursed is to be in hell. Hell. So there's a couple of things I would, I would have you note with me with, with regard to this. First of all, we've got to watch over our hearts and over our actions. I mean, they, they just mentioned the, the peace offering and, and, and the burnt offering and so forth. And, and, and they just went through all that. But yet, even in the midst of that, they're reminded, you be careful how you live. You be careful how you behave. God takes your life very seriously. And you must be careful what you do. The second thing I would note is this. It's not only the actions that are seen, but it's also those actions which are unseen. Did you notice the time it talked about it's done in secret? Nobody else knows. Nobody else sees. So if I, if I move my, my neighbor's marker, and you know, if, if by that he means, it doesn't mean you give your neighbor more of your land. It's the idea, you're going to take more of your neighbor's land. You know, I, if you, behind my house is a big empty field. And a couple of years ago, I, I started mowing just outside my property, back a little strip back there. And then every time I mow, I go a little farther and pretty soon, you know, I'm going to be over in the woods if I keep mowing that way. So, I, again, I'm not out to steal his land. If he, if he came along and said, don't mow my grass, just let my weeds grow, I would. But he hasn't said anything, so, you know, my yard's getting bigger and bigger every year. Not in an evil way. Please don't think I'm moving my neighbor's marker. He, I know where the marker is. All right. But we've got to be careful how we live. What does our lives look like in this world? Those things that are done in secret that nobody knows. Your sexual behavior. Somebody said, man, you Christians are so obsessed with this sexual behavior. Why is that? You know why it is? Because my God is. He set the boundaries. He set the boundaries. 
And he said, this is the only place it is right, good, and proper. And any other things you think is good isn't. Because I'm God. And I instituted it. I mean, there are things that we read here that we, we might have been, oh, really, people, bestiality, really? Uh, some people think that's good. And other scenarios. We need to watch how we live, even in secret, because God takes note of that. But, but there's one other application I want to I draw out from this. Because I don't know about you, when I read this, and I'm honest, I'm a man who's cursed. If God's going to be just, I'm guilty of breaking His law. And I deserve to be cursed. And that's true with most of us. You know, I was talking to someone this past week and we were, we were talking about this passage of Scripture and, and we hear these people say, Amen! Let it be so! And I was thinking to myself, man, if I was in their shoes, I'm like, oh man, really? we got to obey all the commandments? Or we're going to be first? I, I wouldn't be real quick to say, Amen! Because I know my own heart. But I can tell you this, as a cursed man, I have fellowship with God. And how is that possible? It's possible in the greatest of all sacrifices, His Son on a cross. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing about faith and a righteousness that is obtained by faith. And he says there in verse 10 of Galatians 3, For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Paul quotes Deuteronomy. He says, if you're you're under the law, then you're going to be cursed because you're not abiding and obeying them. You, You can't even say that I'm obeying most of them. God's standard is you must obey all of them. And you must obey all of them completely. And Paul said, if that's your disposition, then you're going to be a man who is cursed. Now, now Paul knew something about that. Last night we were reading, Patricia and I were reading about the Apostle Paul's life and how he said, concerning the law, I am blameless. Paul says, when it it comes to living by the law, my pattern 
is one of living by that law. But then Paul realized, I haven't done it completely. In fact, Paul goes on to say, if it wasn't for the law that says, thou shalt not covet, I would have never known sin. But I realize I'm a man who's coveted. So I deserve to be cursed. I deserve separation from God. Paul goes on. And he says, now, that no one is justified by the law. No one can be declared innocent before God by the law. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. If you're going to say you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be reconciled by God by obeying His law, then you must do that. You must practice that law. You must live by that law. And, and how are we doing? Maybe there's somebody who says, hey, not bad. Really? You got it, you got it down? It demands complete and total obedience. So what hope is there? Paul goes on. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has taken that curse away. How has He done that? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy again. Christ took the curse that I deserve. So now, though I have not obeyed perfectly and completely, Christ has taken my punishment. So that I'm a man who's now reconciled to God. I'm at peace with God. If you're here this morning and you think that somehow you and God are going to be okay because you're trying to live by the Ten Commandments, my friend, it will not work. It will not happen. No man can gain acceptance with God by the work of the law. No one. Any attempt, any attempt to do so will only lead to bondage. It's like the man that Robert Godfrey talked about in the video this morning in Sunday school who was about ready to face death. Supposedly a godly man lived a godly life. Yet concerned when he got ready to face death. You ought to be concerned if you think it's only by what you do that you can get accepted with God. The only confidence we have when we get ready to walk through death's doors found in Christ and Christ alone. And if you insist on trying to gain acceptance with God by your good works and by your obedience to the ten words, my friend, in the end, you'll only face judgment. And so if nothing else, as, as we've traveled through Deuteronomy 27 this morning, I pray that, that most of us, if not all of us, will have the same reaction that I had sitting in my study as I read through these things. I am a cursed man. 
but I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say that today? Every one of us, I know, I know for a fact that every one of us can say what I've said. I am a cursed individual. There's not an exception in this room. If you think you're an exception, meet me at the back door. Let's talk about it. But you're not. But not all of us can say, I'm at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But as Dale mentioned in the reading of the Word this morning, the door is open. It's a narrow door. You don't come walking with all your baggage, but if you come in just trusting in Christ, He stands ready to receive you. That's the Gospel. And so what's your response? Well, there may be a couple responses. Some of you may sit here and just feel indifferent. I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need to hear any more of that. I think I'm good enough. I'm not as bad as other people. I think I'm good enough. I'll make it. And yet some of us respond by saying, To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So love to the world, He gave us His Son. And that's my hope. How will you respond this morning? Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for Your Word for the direction that we receive from Your Word. And pray, Father, that as we consider these things together, those of us who profess faith in Christ, that we would be careful how we live. That, Father, we would seek to please You in all that we do. And may that come as a result of Your grace towards us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for some who may be here without You, Father, they're still lost in their sin and under the judgment of God. They're a cursed people. May they run to Jesus even this morning, have dealings with You, embrace You by faith, knowing You will in no wise cast them out. So take Your Word and use it, we pray, for Your glory and honor. As we ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. Well, in closing, take your Trinity hymn books, turning to 186, 186. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. 186, Trinity. Let's stand together as we sing.
the wonderful message. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes upon him and never perish, but ever will